May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Oh, I guess about 14 months ago, um, I was traveling through Europe on my way to Israel, stopping in seven countries along the way before finally making my way back to, uh, to good old Northeast Ohio. And as I did, I, w- I realized along the way that I was clearly a foreigner, an outsider. Natives could spot me right away. They knew that I wasn't among them. Uh, the first thing was, is I'm, I'm carrying this big green backpack on my back, you know. It's kind of fluorescent green, um, and I'm, I'm walking through. And so when you're carrying all your stuff on your back, people right away spot that you don't belong, you know. You don't normally do that. You don't carry your stuff on your back when you live there. The traveler is suspicious to the natives. You know, you never know anything about the traveler. There's no reputation. There's no, um, you know, there's no baggage, literally, metaphorically, rather, to go along with it. There's, there's no sense of where this person comes from and what she or he is doing. And so, you know, maybe he's a likable chap. Maybe, you know, it's Charles Manson. Come to wreak havoc in your neighborhood. Nobody really knows. And so they look at you with a, a little bit of suspicion. Another telltale sign that I was not a native was my speech. Even when they spoke in English, it wasn't the English of Northeast Ohio. Um, I re- in Ireland had to listen very closely because I missed about every fourth word that was being said. Wasn't really sure. England was a little better. Spain was a completely different animal where I could almost not communicate at all. Um, when I did open my mouth, immediately somebody would say, oh, You're an American. Um, one time I was in Israel and uh, there, was this, uh, there was this cab driver who was trying to get me to take his cab. He looked, you could see I was walking and he was trying to get me to take his cab. And I'm, you know, no thank you, no thank you, whatever. And he says, oh, you're an American. You don't walk anywhere. Americans don't walk anywhere. You haven't taken this cab. And um, I said to him, I could be Canadian. He said, are you? No, I'm not. But I could be, you know, it's possible. Um, perhaps the, the most telling sign, though, that you are a foreigner, that you're not a native in the land is the way you handle currency. Um, I always love currency. I'm kind of a, a, a fascinated by currency. My friend from Scotland makes fun of our currency because he always says, why is it all the same color? I didn't realize there were options you know, for the longest time. And yeah, but we do have some more colors now. But um, currency has always been something of fascination to me. But in you know, Europe, in the, in the European Union, there are no single bills, you know, like one euro bills. They're coins. There are even two euro coins. <laughs> and then they break them down like in tens and twenties. No 25 centers. They have twenties. And so it was always this, you know, you go somewhere and they would ask for, you know, two euro twenty and, or, you know, four euro, four euro, whatever. And, and I'm digging through my coins. I'm trying to count these coins and figure out which ones to get. And in Israel, there's shekels. Which I thought was kind of cool to spend a shekel, you know, like, oh, I spent 300 shekels on that, you know. But looking at these coins in your hand and trying to figure out what belongs where, clearly you're a foreigner. When's the last time you looked at a quarter to make sure that it was the right coin? No, you just, you just go for it. You just spend it. It's different when you belong. You know when you belong. You know when you're at home. You're in your own element. It's so easy. It's like the air that you breathe. You don't even notice it. But first of all, you don't carry all your clothes on your back, do you? You, you have a space. You know, you have a room or a home or a tent. I don't know where you live. And you put your stuff in your space. 
And then you go out and you, you move along. You, you speak with the proper accent. <laughs> you put the proper emphasis on the right syllable. You know, you know how to say what you're supposed to say. Um, we even know how to break the rules of grammar. Uh, are you one of the people who likes to use the, um, the, the preposition at the end of the sentence? I'm going to the store. Do you want to go with? I mean, why have that extra uh, object of the preposition? You just end it with a preposition. We know how to do that when we're in our own element. And we certainly know how to handle currency. We know how to make change. A buck 27. What's a buck? Well, you know what it is, and you know how to go about it. St. Paul writes the letter to the Ephesians really as a letter to all of us. His letter is not uh, in the way so many of his letters are. He, he, don't, he doesn't deal heavily with specifics about doctrinal problems or, or ethical dilemmas or, or moral uh, problems. He doesn't deal with any of that sort of thing. He rather is very, very broad in general. The first half of the book, is, the letter rather, is all about God's amazing grace and the way that God has saved um, people. He saved the, the, the Ephesian Christians, these Gentiles. He's made them one with Israel. And then the second half of the letter, he's dealing with all these sort of ethical exhortations. Because God has saved you, do this and do this and do this. And don't do that or that or that. And then do this and this. It, it goes on for quite some time. Last week I, I began noting some of the ethical exhortations that he has that all are predicated on this one line, the very first verse of chapter 4 that goes like this. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you... To walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Um, as I pointed out last week, when Paul says walk, he doesn't literally mean walk, right? He means live. Live in a manner worthy of your calling. Live in a manner worthy of being called a Christian. And I could tweak this a little bit and say, live as foreigners in this land. Because you are citizens of another. Christians, in this world in which you live, live as a foreigner, as an outsider, because your citizenship is elsewhere. And Paul makes this a little bit more clear in the end of our reading where he says this, be imitators of God. Mimic, almost literally the word in, in Greek, mimic the life of God. Well, How do you do that? How does one... Imitate God. How does one maybe? I remember um, when my boys were little, um, there would be always one who would want to pick on another by saying everything that the other said. You know, and so one would say, "Mom, I'm hungry," and the other one would say, "Mom, I'm hungry." Mom, he's making fun of me. Mom, he's making fun of me. And back and forth until eventually I would say, "Stop! You know, don't do that anymore. Stop! Don't do that anymore. I mean it right now. Don't do that anymore." You know, that's how it goes. Be an imitator of God is not like that. It's not trying to be irritating. It's rather mimicking the, the qualities of God's character. And I think it can be all summed up in a single word, kindness. That Christians who imitate God live lives of kindness. Now, Paul has some, some very specific ways in which we can live out this kindness. And the first one is in dealing in honesty. Christians are honest. Not honest in a way that's painful, you know, not honest in a way that, you know, you look terrible in that, that shirt or whatever. Not that sort of honesty, but a true honesty, a, a, li a life of living truthfully with one another. 
Therefore, he says in the very first verse of this lesson, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Of course you say, of course we tell the truth. Why would we lie? Well, sometimes we withhold truth or we give half truths because if we gave the full truth, it would mean sucking up our pride and embracing humility. Saying, you know what, you're right. I was wrong. I'm sorry. Those are hard, hard words to say. And if we do, then we have to, we have to own up to that humility. To be people who are truthful. That won't, Sometimes we're wrong. Sometimes we're just flat out not right. And as citizens of heaven, we no longer cherish pride, but we embrace humility. We seek to live truthfully and honestly with one another. Secondly, Paul says we avoid wrath. Be angry and do not sin. Another way you could translate that phrase is do not sin in your anger. You know what? He didn't say don't be angry. You know why he didn't say don't be angry? Because he himself gets angry. He knows that anger is a natural human response. Uh, read the, the letter to the Galatians sometimes. He gets so angry with St. Peter that he says, I withstood him to the, his face in the presence of everybody. I called him out on his bad behavior. Paul does not say don't be angry. He says don't sin in your anger. You are going to get angry. If you're married, you're going to get angry at your spouse. And if you have children, you're going to be angry at your children. And if you work somewhere, those co-workers are going to get on your last nerve. And your neighbor and your friends and your family, and sooner or later, you're going to be angry. But Paul says, don't sin in your anger. Don't, don't sin and become wrathful in your anger. Don't use harmful words, he says. Let, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. He's talking about in moments of anger. We don't say harsh things. And so sometimes we're angry because we're disappointed. Sometimes you're disappointed legitimately. Your child misses his or her curfew. Parents are angry. Parent doesn't come through and pick up the child when she or he wanted to be picked up and, and made the arrangements to. The child's angry. It's a legitimate anger. But oftentimes we're angry for reasons that aren't legitimate. We're disappointed because of things that didn't go the way we wanted. Could you imagine you're, you go to the grocery store and you see a fellow who's in line and he buys a lottery ticket. And it just so happens this time where they're about to draw the numbers. And so there he stands watching the numbers being drawn and he doesn't get a single one. And he crumbles it up and he throws it down and he begins to throw a tantrum and, and rages like, I can't believe I didn't win. And you would look at him and say, you knucklehead, of course you didn't win. Nobody wins, you know. It's it hit by lightning three times at better chances, you know. It's an illegitimate reason to be angry. And sometimes we get angry for reasons that are not legitimate. Paul says, live as citizens of heaven. Live as, not wrathful in your anger, but deal with it honestly. Work it out. But more than that, forgive one another. Be tender-hearted towards one another. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ forgave you. Oh, why should I forgive that person? I don't know. Maybe because I myself have been forgiven. And that's why I should forgive. Live as citizens of heaven. Forgiveness, kindness, gentle words, forbearance, patience. These are the currency of the kingdom. This is the way that we know that we belong. When we're, when we're comfortable around this currency. 
Thirdly, be generous. Let the thief steal no longer, but let him rather labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone who's in need. Well, again, you say, of course we don't steal. Why would we steal? It's one of the big ten. Not the football teams, but, uh, you know, commandments. <laughs> you shall not steal. Don't. Of course we wouldn't do that. But you know what? We kind of can. We kind of can steal and take things that don't belong to us. More than that, though, Paul doesn't just simply say, don't steal. Reject the idea of stealing. But take on the virtuous side. Be generous. Oftentimes we think about the work that we do, the money that we'll make, and the things that we can get. You know, you're working hard and maybe the boss says, hey, you know what, you're due for a raise. And you're like, oh, that's great. I wanted those new golf clubs or that boat or whatever it is that you want. I wanted to buy something for my priest. You know, uh, you you want to have something. What can I get? Paul is saying that, that our work ought to be in large part about what we can give. That we work not just to have things, but to give things away. Part of the motivation of working. Not that we can have more stuff, but that we can have more to give. Um, part of my uh, pilgrimage through uh, through Europe uh, to Israel was to go to Spain and, and to hike on this um, path called the Camino de Santiago, the Way of St. James. And there are several different Caminos that come from different directions, you know, from up in France and other places. Uh, there's, a, there's one that comes from the sort of um, northwestern uh, port of uh, Feral in in Spain, and it's called the Way of the English, the Camino de San, or the Camino de Angles, the Way of the English, and it's the shortest of all of them. And I didn't have a whole lot of time, so this is the one I wanted to go on. Besides, I'm an Anglican priest, so I should be on that one, right? And so um, I'm hiking on this um, this Camino, this path. It's a pilgrimage, and there are thousands of people who hike on these Caminos every year. I expected to see lots of people, and when I first started, for the whole entire first day. I saw no other pilgrim but me. You know, I've got my backpack, I've, you know, whatever. But eventually, four days later, I make my way into Santiago. My feet are weary. I'm really tired. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing pilgrims everywhere. And they all look just like me. they got backpacks on. Um, they look, men are unshaven. Uh, we all have dusty clothes. We look tired and hungry. We, we bear the marks of our various ethnicities. But we're all pilgrims. All of us have a seashell somewhere on our pack or on our body to say that we're on this path. And as I got there, and I'm getting closer to the cathedral, I began to think about this not just as my literal pilgrimage, but as a metaphor for life. This is what we are. We're pilgrims, all of us. We live in a land that is not ours. We don't deal well in their currencies. But we should deal well in our own. We should speak our own native language. We should deal in our own native currency. And that currency ought to be kindness. It ought to be that we are people who don't get angry, don't sin rather in our anger. People who are generous to a fault. People who love one another and forgive one another. This is, this is what we ought to look like. And maybe if we're doing it well, other people might see and they might want to follow us as well. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 